Hey everybody, and welcome back to the Inves podcast. Uh, I am Dan Ashmore, your host, financial analyst here at Inves, and today I'm joined by Sam Burns, who's chief strategist at Mill Street Research, with uh, 20 years as a market strategist. So we're going to bounce around a lot of macro topics. We're going to digest some of the the latest data coming out of the US, and uh, you know it's a, it's a pre- pretty precarious time for the economy at large. So uh, lots to talk about. But um, yeah, thanks for joining us on the show today, Sam. Oh no, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Dan. So the big question right now, I guess the last couple of months have brought some softer inflation data, and we are now at a point where the main fear seems to be over recession rather than inflation. How do you view this, Sam? I think that's right. I think certainly the markets have moved from worrying about inflation uh, to worrying about growth, that uh, you know, the, the Fed might wind up being too successful in slowing down the economy. <clears throat> Excuse me. And... Uh, and you know, push us into a recession that maybe we didn't have to be in. Um, I think the Fed and some of the other policymakers are still worried, uh, at least publicly, about inflation and still making the argument that, for instance, the labor market is too strong and needs to be slowed down. Um, you know, my view is that that's probably not really the case now. Uh, certainly, the labor market in the U.S. is the is the the strongest probably kind of component of the of the economy, but the rest of it is clearly slowing pretty rapidly. And I think if you look at the last, say, six months or so that the Fed's really been raising rates, uh, you've seen the reaction you know, coming through pretty quickly. So I think if, um, you know, if you're still looking at kind of year over year, 12 month changes and things, you're still getting some of the stuff in early 22, which I think is essentially no longer really relevant in some ways for you know, looking forward uh, in terms of what's going on and what, what policy should be. So I think that's what the market is looking at. That's, that's why the yield curve is inverted. Um, and I think that's um, where the Fed's going to have to get to, you know, fairly soon. Yeah. So there's obviously a lot to digest. And like one thing you mentioned there was like we might be pushed into a recession that maybe didn't need to happen. Do you do you think that this could have been avoided? Like, do you think that the Fed has stepped out of line a little bit here or, or gone too far? I think they're certainly at risk of doing that. I don't know if they've quite gone too far yet. Um, I do think that the U.S. economy now is probably in a somewhat better shape to withstand rate hikes like we've had um, than it was, say, in 2005, 6, 7, when we had a similar, you know, pretty aggressive rate cycle, but there was a lot more leverage. There was a lot more, you know, the banking system was in you know much worse shape in terms of capital and things like that. So I think because of all the stimulus that came from, you know, after COVID and the, you know, kind of longer term reactions to what happened in 2008, uh, I think the economy can handle higher rates better now than it used to be able to. But still, at some point, it's going to really, you know, it's going to start to hurt, um, particularly once the, you know, the effects of the stimulus from you know, 21, 22 really have worn off. And you're, you kind of go back to what had been, you know, prior to COVID, a kind of a low growth, low inflation environment. I think you're, you're probably going to drift back towards that default. And if the Fed pushes too hard, you know, kind of puts the brakes on too hard, then you could get tipped into, you know, a, a weaker economy than, than you would otherwise have to be. And of course, they're aiming for a sort of a, a you know, a, a slowdown or a you know soft landing, uh, and maybe they'll get that. Uh, but I think the the risk is that they kind of go keep their uh, public um, you know concern about their reputation for being an inflation fighter, take that a little too far, and, and keep rates up too high too long. Uh, but in the past, they've been able to pivot you know fairly quickly. Um, but I don't know if they'll do that now uh, this year. Yeah, well, I always think like it's because sort of inflation expectations kind of beget <clears throat> inflation. So I wonder, like, do, do you think that they're kind of, I don't want to say bluffing, but 
they just do not want to budge off that stance that inflation is the number one priority until it comes down. Because people are saying, like, yeah, we've had two months of, of positive data with it coming down, but it's still a hell of a long way off the target. Like six and a half percent was was the latest rate a couple of weeks ago. So, like, is it premature? Do you think at all that we're or the market anyway is kind of concluding that inflation is beaten? I guess. Um, <clears throat> I mean, there, there's always certainly a, a risk. I guess that you have a few months of you know of better data and then you know, you kind of let your guard down and then, you know, inflation comes back or things get worse. Um, I think in this particular case, uh, it's really been a, a solid probably six months. I think in my, from the data and the CPI and everything in the U.S., certainly inflation really peaked around June or July and has been pretty slowing pretty rapidly since then. <clears throat> so it's, it's been more than a month or two now. It's been closer to six months. Actually, if you look at the six month annualized CPI right now through December, it's at just under 2%. So, you know, ever since the Fed's really been raising rates and, and commodity prices peaked, you know, around June, um, you've really had very moderate inflation over the last six months, which, again, I think because things have been moving so fast, this cycle, um, I think that's really the relevant kind of thing to look at. And that's clearly what the market is looking at. If you look at the inflation expectations that are embedded in, you know, the tips market or in inflation swaps, things like that, they're all at two percent, you know, two and a half percent or lower now even looking out whether it's one year or five years or, or longer. So I think the market is looking at um, what's been happening recently with inflation and the likely trajectory given where growth is, um, you know, in terms of the overall economic data right now. You look, saw retail sales uh, and industrial production yesterday were very weak. Um, so I think you're, you're clearly seeing pretty rapid slowing. And I think that normally would be a, a time when the Fed would stop raising rates and even think about whether they needed to cut. I think because you've got that year over year number still still high, like you said, you know, 6% or more, that's what they're focused on. That's what the sort of the headlines are about. And I think that's where the risk comes is that things have moved faster now than they normally have in the past. And inflation basically went straight up into June and went straight down since then. And that's that's rare. You don't normally see kind of a U-turn in the inflation data like that. Uh, it usually is much more of a kind of a slow, you know, kind of process. But because of the effect of COVID and stimulus and China and Russia and everything else, you've had these dramatic moves. And really, it's been almost all on the downside for the last, say, you know, four, five, six months. And I think that's what the market's responding to, that the Fed hasn't quite gotten there yet. Yeah, like it, it really is amazing how unprecedented the whole thing is when, when you know, it's so much like all this talk about transitory inflation coming out of COVID. Like we had a massive pandemic that, you know, spiked a, a stimulus of just completely unprecedented scale that we've never seen before and now like we're layering it a, a war in europe and all of the you know the chinese economy still hasn't opened up like this there's so many things or has opened up recently um so like i wonder like the only real precedent we have of an inflationary crisis of this scale recently is, is the 70s and even like when you go back that far i always think it's so hard to compare and, and even if you look there like once the like we inflation came down and then it kind of spiked up like two or three times after what kind of the market had thought uh, it was beaten and then it, it kind of came back. So I wonder, like, is that maybe on their minds a little bit? Um, but what I want to ask about is, because and you said it there earlier, is the labor market, because like to me, this seems really surprising that I, I know that there's a lot of headlines about all the layoffs. You know, Microsoft uh, laid more employees off yesterday. We've seen Meta, we've seen Twitter, Amazon, like thousands gone in the tech sector. But the tech sector is such a small part of the overall labor market and when you look at the numbers like the, the it's still really really tight like are you surprised that there hasn't been more give there um a little bit um i think if you think about it in terms of a lot of what's happened in the last few years was the you know the supply shocks 
from COVID and then Russia and China and then demand shocks, which were basically the fiscal and monetary stimulus that we had, um, that the, the, the lingering effects, the biggest shock that's kind of still there in the U.S. economy, at least, is, is labor. Uh, that, you know, that certainly the labor, you know, the labor force essentially got shrunk by both COVID from simply people, you know, dying and people who gotten sick and, you know, weren't able to work anymore or who were unwilling to work anymore, given the risks that, you know, come with a lot of uh, particularly service jobs now. And so you've had retirements have accelerated, you know, relative to what they would have been in the past. So people who are kind of on the border of, you know, maybe retiring uh, decided to, you know, <clears throat> go ahead and just jump out of the labor force. Um, you know, when COVID hit and, and immediately after. So I think that's where you see the supply constraints really still affecting, uh, you know, kind of the supply and demand for labor. Whereas in like goods production and a lot of the manufactured things, things on the shelves, that's really loosened up, you know, being able to find things and what you want to buy and, and, and the prices for most, uh, you know, goods and things like that have really come back down again and, and has really kind of normalized, certainly in the U.S., and the energy prices too, um, you know, oil prices come back down from, from where they were. A lot of other commod <coughs> commodity prices, <coughs> excuse me, have uh, have come back down. So it's really the labor market where you still see that kind of lack of supply. Uh, and then there's also, of course, in the US an immigration issue uh, where both from a policy standpoint before COVID and since COVID where they you know limited immigration for health reasons, um, a lot of what would normally have been supply for labor, particularly in service jobs, hasn't hasn't been there. Um, so that's not something that you know the Fed can do anything about. Um, but hopefully over time that will also improve. So I think there's some special factors that are affecting the US labor market that have, you know, whereas other areas of the economy have things have been, you know, much gotten much better in terms of the supply chain. And I think that's what you're seeing now is this really divergent uh, data in inflation that the you know, labor market and wages are still holding up fairly well. But, you know, most other things have started to really slow down. Yeah, because I, I kind of assumed the whole way, as I guess a lot of people did, that in order to beat inflation, you need to see at least a little bit of give. But you think that that doesn't really apply here? Well, I think it, yeah, it means that you're not going to see it across the board right away uh, in the same way that you might have in the past. I mean, there are some signs of, of sort of slowing in the growth rate in you know, wages and hours worked and things like that. So if you look at the, there's one series that the, the Fed mentioned sometimes and I look at sort of the aggregate weekly take-home pay, aggregate weekly income. So it's the number of people working times the number of hours they work times the amount of you know the hourly wages, you know, all together in sort of one aggregate. And that's, you know, still, still growing, you know, pretty well, but it's definitely slowed down quite a bit in the last few months. So I think if we got another couple of months of seeing that figure slow down, uh, we were not too far away from where it would have been, you know, pre-COVID. Uh, you know, if, if pre-COVID may have four or five percent growth rate would have been typical and non-inflationary, uh, you know, maybe we're at, you know, six or something now. So um, we could probably get there, uh, you know, by the time the, you know, March or April Fed meetings come around. Okay, so, so so let's like talk investing here for a second. I guess it's your your bread and butter. So if we're, we're, we're sitting here, if you're sitting here as an investor, you know, the next key date is February 1st. That's when the, the Fed meets next and we'll, we'll get the latest interest policy. Like, how do you play this, uh, I guess, positive news that inflation is coming down, but fear that a recession is coming when you look at stocks? So we've got S&P 500 just dip below 4,000. You know, it's still up slightly on the year. Um, and obviously 2022 was, was a horrific year where, where it fell 20%. So what are you kind of reading right now? So, yeah, so right now, um, <clears throat> in terms of the, the equity market itself, 
have actually gotten more constructive just recently. Um, some of the indicators I look at, looking out, say, you know, one to three months, uh, maybe a little more, um, have started to, to improve. And part of that is because it looks like we're getting very close to the end of the Fed's tightening cycle. Um, certainly even looking at where, say, the two-year Treasury note is versus the current Fed funds rate, you know, it's clear that the market is, is pricing in, you know, little or no further rate hikes over the next, you know, year or so, and potentially rate cuts even, you know, later this year. And historically, usually the Fed, despite what it's sort of jawboning and, and talked is, usually winds up coming around to where the, the Treasury market is, you know, at some point. Uh, they usually don't like to fight <clears throat> the, the market that far that long in terms of inverted yield curves and things like that, just because it <clears throat> it tends to distort the you know the plumbing of the, the banking system and things like that. So uh, I think there will be um, you know a benefit to seeing the Fed you know kind of step back and, and say, all right, well maybe do a quarter point in February, maybe nothing in March, maybe one more quarter point hike, and then that's it. I think there'll be some benefit to that. And I think because everyone was so pessimistic most of last year, particularly like you know coming into October, November. Um, and so it's got a little bit less so now, but I think that that sort of heavy pessimism, a lot of people, if there is a recession this year, it's going to be the most widely anticipated one ever. Um, and certainly the earnings outlook is, is, you know, analysts have brought their earnings estimates down, you know, pretty aggressively and, and still are. Um, so I think there's a certain amount that's already priced in, in terms of the, you know, the downside or the pessimism. And so usually when you get those kind of conditions and then things start to look a little better, you, know, you get a turn up from extreme pessimism. That's usually you know a better condition for for markets in general. Um, now it doesn't mean that you're going to go back to seeing all the you know small cap growth stocks and and you know really volatile you know risky things outperform like they did in 2021. Uh, but I think you could still you could see stocks you know post gains this year at least in the first six months. And uh, if we can avoid a bad recession, uh, maybe get a you know some sort of you know mild uh, contraction or, or, or very low growth, um, then I think stocks could do okay. And I think, you know, bond yields have kind of priced in some of that already. Um, so I'm, you know, more in favor of stocks than bonds right now, uh, based on where the, the, you know, kind of interest rates are and the way stocks are priced. Um, so not necessarily a gangbuster year, but I think better than last year. Yeah, well, for investors' sake, <laughs> I hope yeah. it is better than hope last so. year. Yeah. Uh, what, what about tech? Like, so we're getting, we're recording this January 19th. So we've got Netflix earnings out later. Um, and we're kind of getting into earnings season now. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, tech, tech, uh, so many tech companies have laid off thousands. Like they're obviously the sector that is possibly the most sensitive to interest rate hikes, even, you know, a lot of them don't make profits and your discount cash flows back from the future. Would you go near tech right now? Like, is that it? when you say you're kind of more positive on stocks overall, um, does that mean that you would take another look at these tech stocks, which like a lot of them have been hammered back from their, their valuations. And I, I know they were, they were pumped up during COVID, but. Yeah, it's kind of startling to see how how much the Netflix, the the Facebooks, the Amazons have fallen. No, you're right. A lot of them uh, that had you know really done well and had big premium multiples for a while have really gotten uh, knocked back down. Um, I'm, I've been underweight tech for a while and, and still am. Um, I've been much more oriented toward kind of um, you know the, the value side of the the market and uh, you know like financials, some industrials, um, energy. Not so much now. That, that was more of a last year story, I think. Um, but I think that some of the, the growth areas um, you know, have been beaten up pretty well. And um, so some of them are certainly you know, cheaper. And in fact, some of them like, I think uh, Meta, Facebook, and some of those names are actually in value indexes now. They've gotten beaten up so badly, they're not growth stocks anymore, according to some of the indexes. <laughs> so, uh, so there's been a, a shift, I guess, in how these stocks are perceived. And um, so uh, I wouldn't necessarily 
be looking to those, you know, the, the sort of the former leaders as the first place to go right now. I think, you know, uh, large cap value stocks that can hold up um, and that don't have, you know, high expectations built into them are probably the places to stay for now. Uh, now, if it looks like the Fed's really going to, you know, start to you know, stop raising rates and start to cut rates later this year, then you might see some of those those growth names you know, get more of a tailwind from a valuation standpoint. Uh, it may be too early for that yet. Um, so I'm still underweight the kind of tech and communication services and those kind of names um, and, and still favoring uh, you know, some of the financials, industrials, some consumer discretionary, you know, outside of Amazon and things like that. And, uh, uh, and, and in large caps still over small caps in, in general. Okay. And, and let me ask you about the housing market. Because one point that jumped out at me over the last week or so was, you know, I saw there was a 28% jump in, in mortgage applications in a week, um, just based off these, the, the lower average rates coming down a little bit. And there's been over the last three months, and it's, it's softened a little bit recently, but there's been like, if you go searching, you can see some serious doomsday predictions for housing. And, and I don't know if it's that people are kind of, um, so a little bit of PTSD from 2008 or whatnot, but like you say, like it's a, it's a lot healthier climate right now, you know, banks are a lot more recapitalized. So I, I personally don't think you can draw too much. Like that was, that was a very bespoke, um, subprime mortgage crisis, you know, but for the first time, what feels like forever, people have been looking at housing and saying, okay, we could get a pullback here. Like what, what are you looking into that asset class? No, I think that's right. I think housing has already started to pull back. You've seen, you know, the some of the, the Case-Shiller data starting to show declines, outright declines in home prices nationally in the U.S. Um, and I think, yeah, the mortgage rates have really, you know, put a damper on um, both the, the prices people are willing to pay and then just the activity levels. They're just they're people. It's almost like a locked market at the moment in the sense that the people who are selling don't really want to sell, um, but the uh, people that want to buy don't quite want to buy yet. They think prices are going to come down further. And so there's there's just less activity um, going on right now in terms of just turnover. Um, so I think a lot of people are waiting to see what happens with rates. And I think um, you know people that had you know previously had a three and a half percent mortgage and are going to move and are looking at a six and a half percent mortgage now are really hesitant to you know to, to make those moves. So I think you've gotten people staying where they are a little bit right now. I think as that sort of evolves I and mean, you get into spring, you know more activity you know picks up after winter, uh, you'll probably see prices soften a bit. Um, and so I think, you know, that housing is going to struggle. Certainly the, the data out today, even if housing starts and building permits, you know, down again, uh, most of those activity levels are still falling. Uh, it take, it's going to take a while for any kind of a break in mortgage rates to, you know, to affect the, you know, the, the housing and building type uh, side of things. Now, the home builder stocks have actually had a pretty good rally lately. Um, but I think that's anticipating that the mortgage rate declines are going to then, you know, pick things up in housing maybe later this year, or at least make things, you know, less bad. Uh, than they were. Um, and so I think there's people are already starting to try to, you know, think ahead um, based on the fact that long-term interest rates have come down and pushed mortgage rates down. That's helped the home, home builder stock somewhat. Um, but I think the actual housing market itself is is going to, you know, struggle with these higher rates uh, for a little while longer. Yeah, it, it's funny how nearly any question in economics or finance right now comes back to, well, it depends on what the Fed does. And yeah, it, it just feels like a particularly watershed moment, even this next Fed meeting, because I know like the last ones, it, it, like no one's really, we've got, it's, it hasn't really been too much of a shock coming out of any of them. Um, you know, we had our 75 basis point hikes, and then 50 basis points and inflation's kind of been high, high, high. But now it's kind of the, I guess it feels like a transition, like we were saying earlier. Um, 
But is it like, has it always been this way? Is it healthy that the market is this closely linked to the Fed? Or is it just where we are right now at this stage of the cycle and that it is so pivotal rates kind of, and again, this whole bespokeness brought in from, from the pandemic? Like, is this healthy? Um, I don't know if I'd say healthy. Um, I think it is fairly typical and much more typical when you've had any kind of you know, crisis and macro events, whether it's pandemic or whether, you know, in the 70s, it was, you know, oil shocks when, you know, OPEC cut off the supply of oil twice. Um, and, uh, you know, so whatever the case may be, um, whenever the, you know, the, the Fed or fiscal policy um, are major drivers and are really going into overdrive one way or another, either stimulating or tightening, then that naturally attracts the focus of, of investors. And, you know, they, they look to, you know, the policymakers as kind of the key drivers and that you know individual company movements and uh, kind of the more micro level things get washed out a little bit um, just because you know bonds have been more volatile over the last couple of years than they've been for many years at least since 2008 um, and people aren't used to seeing bonds being that volatile um, and that's because there's so much uncertainty about the Fed and they've been so aggressive moving from you know super accommodative zero rates to really quite tight rates in the space of you know six or eight months uh, is, is pretty extraordinary. Um, and so, you know, that there's no way the markets aren't going to, you know, focus on that when there's that big, of, you know, moves going on. And some of that is because the macro itself, I mean, if you look at all the economic data, you know, it, it plunged in, in, you know, early 2020 and then you had stimulus and a lot of it kind of, some of it skyrocketed, some of it stayed low in 2021, you had a big boom when, once the COVID vaccines came out and, uh, then you've, you've now had started to see, you know, a slowdown as supply chains have normalized and the feds tightened. But all of these things, all the volatility of all of these things have been really high. Um, and they're just, you know, that's a natural side effect of what's happened in the, in the world. And certainly Russia invading Ukraine and China, you know, doing what it's been doing lately has been, you know, extraordinary events uh, and have big impact kind of ripple effects over everything. So I think it's not surprising. And it's, you know, there are historical examples of that, like, say, in, in, the, in the 70s um, and even in back looking after World War II. When you went from the wartime rationing economy to everyone coming home and uh, no more rationing, you had a big surge in prices for a couple of years, um, and then it kind of stabilized. And so I think there's, you know, there are historical examples you can find, but you know they're they're rare. And I think people are still trying to figure this one out as we go along. But I think the Fed feels like it has to, you know, be in charge of of inflation, even if a lot of the causes of inflation being supply shocks they can't really do much about. They can't control Russia. They can't control China. And they certainly can't control COVID. So um, they're kind of just reacting to things um, and trying to you know, do the best they can given their limited tools. I think the market tends to give them a little too much you know, emphasis or credit in terms of what they can accomplish uh, just by changing interest rates and, and you know, their balance sheet. I think that's the, the risk and the sense of not being entirely healthy um, to rely on the Fed, the central bank, anywhere really. Um, to kind of solve all the economic problems. Uh, I think fiscal policy has a much bigger influence now and, and, and should be, but it's much harder, you know, being a, a far more you know, political kind of a thing. Uh, it's harder to manage and predict and there's a lot of, a lot of variables there. And that's true in other countries as well. But of course, you know, the U.S. is, is the biggest. So um, that's what most people are focusing on now. Yeah, yeah. And it, 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 I, we're running out of time here, but I want to ask you, one more kind of fun question. Uh, mm -hmm. You talked about like the World War II comparisons and, and the 70s. I, I was looking there a few days ago, like how many years we've seen consecutive 
uh, consecutive years of negative returns in the S&P 500. And I think there was 2001 to 2003 was one example. And then we had in the 70s, I think it was 74, 75. And then it was like, you, you have to go all the way back to, to the war. Um, how likely do you think, so we've obviously talked about all this, you know, you're a little more positive on stocks. We've got this big Fed meeting coming up, you know, but there's big recession fears and inflation may be beaten. How, what, what's the percentage chance do you think, tough question, but that the S&P 500 will return its second consecutive year of negative returns? Um, I would put the odds of a second year of negative probably less than 50%. I, I think we've got a, a decent chance of having at least some positive return this year, um, partly because of you know the damage that was done last year. And because we're not starting off at crazy high valuation still, I think earnings will be, you know, they won't fall off a cliff. I think they'll be, they might be slightly negative. They might, you know, hold up okay. But I think um, it won't be um, a real sort of doomsday scenario, either like the 70s in terms of inflation coming back. I don't really see that as a high probability. And I don't see, um, you know, in 2001, 2002, it was really a valuation thing. The market had started off at really insane valuation levels in 2000 and had to go through a, a much longer process to correct those. Um, I don't see us starting from that level here. Um, and so I think uh, the starting point and the backdrop uh, are not as extreme as those previous cases when you had you know back to back years of, of real you know negative returns. Um, and I think that the you know the backdrop of fiscal policy is probably a little better, although the split government now in the U.S. is going to probably you know weaken that somewhat. But I think there's there's uh, a little bit better you know backdrop from that standpoint. And so of course you know if you know another land war in Europe breaks out or COVID or some other virus comes back, some other real big shock. Uh, happens, then you know that would be uh, a reason for a negative returns. But I think if things are kind of progressing along the path they look like right now, I think we should probably get some kind of positive gain for the year this year. Okay, yeah. Well, I guess I guess we'll see you in one year's time. Uh, Sam <laughs> Burns, right. thank you very much for coming on the show. Uh, lots of interesting topics. And for any listeners who want to check out your work, I will link Mill Street Research in the description. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks very much for having me. <laughs>